once again, dear Lord, that you have brought us here to come worship you and seek you. And God, I pray for your help today that we would no longer do the same things that have only brought us failure. But God, help us to learn today to do the things according to your will and your plan. Let us find freedom, Lord, in you from the bondage of sin and the forgiveness of sin. And may we find a fellowship with you that is deeper, Lord, closer than ever before. And may we find you, Jesus, which, Lord, you mean more to us than anything in this whole world. So, God, I ask that you bless your word. May your Holy Spirit anoint it this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the other day I was thinking about life before and after the invention of smartphones. You know, our modern cell phones. I know there's some who are, you know, thinking about the not-so-great things. And like, of course, we joke about having actual conversations with someone and not through the digital ones, through text messages, or, or even losing that ability of just patiently being in some waiting room without something in your hands. You know, nowadays, it's kind of hard not to have your phone in your hands. But there are some positive things that I like. For example, before the smartphones, you know what? I had to memorize phone numbers, yeah? Like my girlfriends or the pizza place or the surf report. Or, you know, I, I even knew my own phone, home phone number by heart. But I think those, that was all my brain could contain. But after the cell phone now, I don't have to memorize numbers, right? You just... You just tap on it, you can make the call. And also, in, in our phones, right, we have our whole address book. We don't have to carry it with us. We don't have to run home to look up a number. And even that, no need for yellow pages anymore, right? We can get on the Internet and do our searches right then. So it's great now after the, the smartphones. Another thing before smartphones was I remember carrying a camera and a camcorder when we went on family vacations, and sometimes I had both strapped around my neck, right? But after smartphones, I can travel light. All I need to do is put this into my pocket, and, and the, the camera, the video surpasses way you know, above all than the old ones. Or how about this? Before our modern cell phones, I remember pouring over maps. Do you remember what that is? paper maps right and I remember pouring over studying like especially when you're unfamiliar area or trying to drive Honolulu and all the streets yeah and and then I would highlight you know mark our route and I give it to my wife who helped me navigate as we drove through the streets but now after our, our smartphones now we have what GPS right now we just type in the address let the lady tell you where to go easy easy peasy now you just go right how easy is that i i don't even you know need need to do what i hardly did before and that is ask for directions right well to me life after the invention of smartphones has been amazing checking email without your computer instant contact with your family access to news and information like never before and you can even watch tv shows or youtube right there with on your phone without going to your tv screen well the new technology sure is better than the old system that's what i say as we return to our study in the book of Hebrews, the writer shows the Jewish believers that the new covenant 
in Jesus is way better than the old system of sacrifices. He shows them the difference before and after the cross. And that's the title of our message this morning, Before and After the Cross. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 1 through 18. We finished up chapter 9, and as we're making our way through this book, we're going to do chapter 10, the first part from verse 1 through 18. Now, what we're going to see here today is three things. Number one, the limited system. Number two, the remedy submitted. And number three, the effective sacrifice. So that's our outline. That's what we're going to cover. Take, we're going to begin, though, first with number one in our outline, the limited system. Number one, the limited system. Take a look with me here now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It reads here, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. We'll stop right there. We begin with the writer saying, For the law. Well, and that's talking about what God commanded the Jews to do in the old sacrificial system. And he's saying, you know, all that was really just a shadow of the new covenant, which contained good things to come. And what are those good things in the new covenant? Forgiveness, cleansing of sin, access to God. This was all through the cross of Jesus Christ. So this old system was not the very image, the writer says here in verse 1, or the reality of God, God's ultimate plan for salvation of those good things to come. For the sacrifices, he writes, from this old system can never do what Christ did, even though they were offered continually year by year. They could not, he writes in verse 1, they cannot make perfect or complete the goal of atonement, which is for anybody to approach or to be able to approach and have that access to the holy God. So here right away in verse 1, the main idea I want you to get is that the old system was only a foreshadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. Uh, when you're looking at a tree and like you're approaching this tree and the sun is standing behind it, the shadow is in front of the tree, right? And as you come up to the tree, there's the shadow. That's the first thing that you hit. When you hit the shadow, before you come to the real tree, you see a silhouette of the tree, but it's not the tree. It's just a shadow. That's the foreshadow that, that the writer's talking about here. That's the idea. That old system of sacrifices, it was just a foreshadow, a dim form of the real thing that God was going to bring through the cross in Jesus Christ. The sacrifices in the old system were implemented as a symbol to what was to come. And that's what the shadow means here. It was a symbol to what was to come when Jesus died on the cross, a shadow of those good things, the things of salvation. Understand, right, as I mentioned throughout the, the, our study in this book, that, that it's written to the believing Jews who've grown up in this old sacrificial system. And remember how they're being pressured and persecuted to leave Jesus and go back to the old ways. So the writer's been trying to show that the old system that was placed there, it, it, it was just there temporary. It was in place until the real system was brought in, that real 
tree or this was just a shadow of the real thing so the writer is putting in one more with this in our section that we're looking at today the writer is putting in one more block of doctrinal truth to be cemented into the foundation of their faith here and actually from chapter 1 all the way to the end of the section we're looking at today, all this doctrine that we've been learning about Christ and Him being our high priest, it's all been to build our foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? After this section, as we go on into the rest of chapter 10 next time, that's going to be the application part of the rest of this book. So, the old system was just a shadow to the real thing God had planned. So look now in verse 2. The writer goes on and he says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now the writer goes on and says, you know what, if the old system worked, then you know what, the offering of the animals, that would have ceased. The old sacrificial system would have stopped. For then people would have been once purified. The idea there is they would have been cleansed and forgiven for all time, that that would have been it. And they would have no more consciousness of sins. That phrase means they would not feel that guilt of, of sin holding them back from God in heaven. But the reality is the old sacrificial system didn't last, so it had to be repeated every year. And you remember, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which only became a reminder of their sin, a reminder of how limited these sacrifices they were giving in the old way, how it only went so far. So here's the idea. The writer's like, if the yearly sacrifices were sufficient, then they would have not have to have been repeated over and over. But it wasn't effective. MacArthur wrote in his commentary, the old sacrifices not only did not remove sin, but they were a continual reminder that they could not. The old covenant only did so much. That's the idea. It only went so far. It was the limited system. Thus our heading in this section. It was a limited system. And why is that? Why is that? Well, look at verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So what the writer is saying, these animal sacrifices, they only went so far. Matter of fact, he's saying, you know what? They were never intended to completely remove sin. The Old Testament sacrifices were a foreshadow, really, to the work of Jesus. That's all it was. It was a shadow. It wasn't the real thing. In John 18, 1, it says that Jesus took his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley to go to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his death. We remember the story, right? Now, the Kidron was this small ravine where this drainage river or brook would, would fill up. It flowed through there, and, and during the rainy season, it would fill up. It was situated just east of the temple it was, and, and between the Mount of Olives and the temple. And when Jesus crossed over in John 18, you know what? It was Passover. It was Passover time. Now, they estimated at the time of Passover celebration, there was as many as 300,000 lambs that were sacrificed that week. 
So imagine that. That would bring a huge amount of blood that would drain in, for, out of the temple into the Kidron. This, this little Kidron brook was like this drainage little ditch there. And it would seem as if the river was flowing with blood at that time, which it actually was. The word Kidron actually means black brook or, or gloomy brook, probably named because of its stained uh, banks, you know, because of all the sacrifices that they did during that time. So imagine this now, in John 18, Jesus is walking through the Kidron Valley. He's walking across or maybe right by the Kidron Brook. And I'm sure he couldn't help but to be moved by the symbolism the river held at that moment, flowing with the blood of the Passover lambs. I'm sure that moved him because he was about to shed his blood as the Lamb of God for our sins. So you see, we see a picture here of what Jesus saw. The Old Testament sacrifices were a foreshadow. It was a shadow to Jesus even. And it's a shadow to the Jews to see that, to point to one day what Christ would do. And which all of that brings us to this point of our first section here. The old system was never to totally take care of sin, but to point to the one sacrifice that would. The old system was never to totally take care of sin, but to point to the one sacrifice that would. The old sacrifices, they, didn't, they were limited. They only went so far. But Jesus, he brought us all the way into salvation. You know, um, many, many years ago, I think I was in my 20s, I, I remember I, I got sick and I developed this ear infection. And, and you know, I, that, was, that was like, the most painful and torturous thing I ever went through. And I never had a ear infection after that because I would always want to be careful and not get one again. But it, it was, I suffered so much. It was extreme, extreme in my suffering. Went to the doctor. The doctor gave me a prescription of antibiotics and, and, and also some, some pain meds. And he said, it might take a few days for it to work. I'll tell you, after five days, there was no change, zero at all. I went back in and he gave me a, a, a different one that finally worked and it started working one day. But during that time, the only way I could to tolerate it was with the pain medication. But it was one of those things that hurt so much that, you know, um, you know how like medication will take maybe like half an hour to kick in? And then towards the end of that allotted time, uh, you know, the last half hour, it was like hurting again. And it was, it was just so bad. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how what the writer is saying, the old system is like my first antibiotic. It never really took care of the problem. It may have given some relief, like the pain medication may be temporary, but it, it had to be administered over and over. There are sacrifices given over and over, but it didn't cure that infection of sin. But the sacrifice of Jesus when he came, that finally cures you of that bondage of sin. Let me say, some approach Christianity, though, in the same way of the old system. Like the Jews who are reading this epistle and a writer trying to get to change their heart. These Jews, they, they, they gave in to their, well, I, I think I need to go do sacrifices. And maybe for us, we give more a modern sacrifices. That is, 
maybe for us even as Christians, oh, we come to church, we say our prayers, we recite Bible verses, read it, doing, doing it as a, a ritual, a ritual sacrifice. But that is not what will bring you into the right place with God. You know what it is? It's a trust in Jesus. It's, it's trusting in what He did for us. It's not trusting in the ritual. That's what these Jews are doing. That this ritual will fix things. No, it's getting right with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're making sacrifices like that in that way. Maybe you're like them, still going back to the old system to continue on. But Jesus, Jesus came. Think about this. If, if, if making our sacrifices, doing some ritual were the way, then would God then God would have kept that old system. But He didn't. He sent Jesus to make a new way. And some of, for some of us, we've got to get that in our minds. There was this cartoon depicting a Pharisee arguing with Jesus. And the Pharisee was saying, we get our salvation the old-fashioned way. We earn it. And that's what we think. We've got to earn it, but we can't. The problem is no one can earn their salvation. We all need help, and that's what the old system really was designed to show you, that you cannot help yourself, that you do need help, that someone needs to save you. You cannot save yourself. So why are you trying to save yourself when Jesus is offering to do that for you? What you think you can do is really not going to help your infection. It's like the Jews trying to get to God in the limited system. Well, let's go on to number two in our outline. The remedy submitted. The remedy submitted. We've seen the limited system. He's talking about before the cross was this limited system, but after the cross is Jesus. But now it goes really after the cross, the remedy submitted. Take a look here, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. Now, as the writer goes on here, he brings in some scripture. He basically quotes Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 which was a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled as the Messiah. You can see this in verse 5 where it says, A body you have prepared for me, which speaks of Christ's incarnation, being born a human being, God becoming man and being able to die for our sins. And you know what I really like here? Look at verse 7 where it says, The volume of the book, it is written of me. In other words, the theme of the whole Bible is Jesus Christ. So the writer's quoting this psalm to kind of help us understand what he's talking about. And, and, and I love this. The Bible is about how man broke his relationship with God in sin and then how God restored that relationship through Jesus Christ. Someone said uh, the Old Testament points to Christ, the gospel proclaims Christ, and the remaining epistles look back to Christ. I like that. That's a good way to see the whole Bible. So he quotes Psalm 40, and then now in verse 8, he goes in and, and explains why he quoted it. So in verse 8, he says, previously saying what he just quoted, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are 
offered according to the law. So the writer goes here in verse, verse 8 here to explain that just to ritually offer animal sacrifices was not what God intended. Let me explain. What God set up as a symbol of their faith to point, that would point to the Messiah, they turned into a substitute for faith. Their trust went into this outward ritual and it was like it was like doing like some magic. Yeah, you do this and magically then God would do this, you know, and something would happen. Well, so the writer's saying that's not what God desired. His he did not desire nor have pleasure in their offerings. He didn't want it all done in this ritualistic kind of thing and some magic thing happened. No, it wasn't having faith in an outward ritual. And even though they did it according to the law, even though they did it according to how God wanted them to do, you know what? Their heart wasn't into it. The offering was just this empty ritual. That's what he's talking about. The idea here is this. What God really wanted was for the people to offer sacrifices with a loving and obedient heart yeah it's not just an action outward thing that they do and then hey i'm okay with god and i could go live how i like no god wanted a a heart that gave it lovingly to the god and a life that was obedient to him but it ended up being this empty ritual from an empty heart that's why remember when samuel told king saul right in 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. And you remember the story, King Saul, he, he couldn't wait for Samuel to come to officially as a priest offer the sacrifices because he was about to go into battle. So he wanted the sacrifice done. So he's thinking that if I do this ritual, I'm going to win the war. So he just, he, he got impatient. He, he didn't do it according to the law and he just did it himself. And so Samuel comes and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you know to obey is better than sacrifice? What you do in your heart, you, it's not just some magical thing. Oh, give the sacrifice and then we're going to win the war. No, the sacrifices were to be given from the heart. And then the writer comments on the next part of the psalm in verse 9. He says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And he takes away the first that he may establish the second. So in contrast, now the writer saying, the sacrifice that Christ, which is himself, right? He gave of himself, was a loving. His sacrifice that Christ gave was a loving and obedient heart. He did it in that manner. That's why Christ said, I have come to do your will, O God. And so with that acceptable sacrifice, Jesus takes away the first or does away with that first system, the old system, and establish a second, this new covenant. So, verse 10 by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the writer saying, so see what Psalm 40 was talking about. You know, there was that old way and how people did this ritualistic thing and it wasn't out of their heart. They put more faith in the, the, the outward action rather than coming from the heart. But you know what? Christ did it the right way when he offered himself. He did it lovingly. He did it in obedience to God. And so by Christ's appropriate sacrifice, this is how we are sanctified, the writer is saying. The word sanctified means made holy. 
It means set apart. It, it, it means that we really here we've been sanctified in the sense that we have made holy. We have a righteous standing before God now in Jesus Christ. Actually, the original word here in the New Testament sometimes translated saint. And do you know that in Christ we are all saints, you know, and except for me. No, but because my wife said, no, I look at you. No, I'm just joking. But, but sometimes we don't think we are. But positionally in Jesus, we are sanctified. It's all because Christ died. And he uses this phrase once again. We've been coming across it in Hebrews once for all, right? Jesus died only once for all the sins of everyone in the world. So the idea here is this. Christ's obedience has taken care of your disobedience. That's what, that's what the writer's telling the Jews. You guys didn't come to God in the right way, not in faith. They were just outward kind of things you did, thinking, well, if I do this, you know, it's like today if we say, well, I, I just need to get to church, and once I, I put in my time in church, give my tithe, and I'm okay with God, and then you go live how you like. God's saying, no, wait, 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 you know, to obey, yeah? To, to really have a relationship with me is better than just giving your sacrifice. That, that's not what it's about. In Jesus, because of his sacrifice, though, we are no longer counted as disobedient. We are now sanctified. That means positionally, again, we're declared righteous. Thus, we can go to heaven and, and understand the Bible talks about a practical sanctification, right? That is growing spiritually in the Lord, becoming more like Jesus. But here is talking about this sanctified sense positionally. That's our justification we use sometimes. That's being made right before God, having this righteousness. And I think about how, you know, when God looks at us positionally, he sees us as righteous. Why? Because of our faith in Jesus. And now we have Christ's righteousness upon us so when he sees us he sees jesus he sees his righteousness and he sees us as righteous that's why i can tell you if you have faith in christ if you believe in him if you trusted in his work on the cross if you were to accidentally die today you would go to heaven you would and i say that confidently because positionally we have the righteousness of christ Maybe you're not perfect. Maybe you've sinned. But you know, Christ's blood covers that. But positionally, as a child of God now, you'll be in heaven because of what Christ did. So, just understand what he's saying here. Their heartless, empty ritual did nothing to atone for their sins. So Jesus, in full obedience to the Father, gave himself as an acceptable sacrifice to die for our sins. So this is the remedy submitted for our disobedience and sin. That's our heady, right? The remedy submitted. Now, look at verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. So the writer goes on here to, to contrast Jesus to the earthly priest. Now the earthly priest, they, notes in verse 11, every priest stands ministering. Why are they standing? 
Well, remember I mentioned, he said earlier too, he studied in the book of Hebrews that there's no chairs in the tabernacle. There's no chairs in the temple. Why? Because their, their work con was a continual work. They had to continually repeat the sacrifices that could never take away sin. So, so they, could, they just had to do it, you know, and keep going on and on. And so their work was never done. But Jesus, the writer saying here, who offered himself as that one sacrifice, and I like this, forever, one time, forever, which makes, which says that was a complete and finished work. Well, then he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God is that exalted position, but I think the focus here, the writer is saying, is that Jesus is sitting down in the heavenly tabernacle in contrast to the earthly priest because his work is done. So the idea is Jesus, unlike the earthly priest, sits for his work on the cross, is complete. Barton writes, he is able to sit because his sacrifice was completely sufficient to take care of sin. And that's what I like. It's completely sufficient to take care of all of our sins. And then on top of that, he adds this, verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, he adds this. The next, the next thing the writer's saying, you know, and then from now that time, you know, he's sitting at the right hand of God. He's seated there. You know what? He's waiting for the time of God's will to open up his time when his enemies are made his footstool. So the writer's like, hey, the next thing we're going to see is when Jesus returns to make the enemies his footstool and others to bring the final victory over sin, the final victory over Satan and this wicked world. And all this is going to happen because of his one offering by his one sacrifice. Jesus is perfected forever. That's believers who put their trust in him. Because Christ died on the cross and rose again, he defeated sin. He defeated the enemy Satan. He defeated evil and so he's wrapping all of this up into scene see what his one sacrifice did see how complete it is see how effective it is you see this was the remedy submitted for the problem in this world and it's about jesus not only dying for us but rising again and he's going to be our king and lord who will reign over a restored earth so what a wonderful plan what a wonderful thing that God put into play here. It wasn't my plan. It wasn't your plan. God thought of it. God put it together. He saw the need. He saw the problem. And he executed a solution. Yeah? And this solution is only something he could fix. None of the, the animal sacrifices and all that, that couldn't do anything. The remedy that was submitted was what God gave. And that's what the idea is. I was thinking about um, uh, a while back, my mechanic pointed out that the CV boots on the front axle of the truck were, were leaking, re recommended that I, that I would replace the axle. Well, months later, well, I, I kind of kept running it, maybe almost a year, <laughs> and when I finally had some money, um, you, you know, I got it fixed. Now, I did try to look it up on YouTube. Isn't this amazing that you can look up anything on YouTube and find a way to fix things yourself? And I've done that. I, I've done that many times. But, but when I looked on YouTube, what the guys are doing to try and fix this, I thought, you know what, this is too big, too big of a job. And they were using like air, gun, air ratchet guns and all this. And I go, no way. 
So I brought it in for him to fix. And he did it real quick, one day, no problem. It was his expertise, right? And it, it was, I was thinking, it was better like to, to our, you know, the phrase we think of, it's better to let the professionals do it, right? I probably would have broken it and made it worse. Well, that's what, that's what it's like with what God did, right? He pointed out the problem. He brought the solution and he did the work by sending his son to the cross which brings us to the point of the second section because of the many flawed offerings in the old system that were given god sent the single perfect offering of jesus christ because of the many flawed offerings in the old system god sent the single perfect offering of jesus christ you understand that I mean, they thought, well, all these sacrifices and the way they give was flawed because it was just this outward ritual. They're putting faith in their ritual and not in, in God. And so God, hey, I see the problem. All this stuff, you know, uh, well, I, I have a solution though. And I've always had that plan to send Jesus to die once and for all. So the Lord's like, uh, you know, the writer's like, hey, all this was flawed, what we were doing before. But God sent that single perfect solution to us so stay there stay with jesus do you remember back in the day of typewriters anyone remember typewriters if you're older you remember or electronic typewriters well um when they first came in that invention typewriters especially electronic typewriters secretaries all over the nation was was overjoyed because they don't have to write things by hand typewriters made their job much easier until they would hit the uh, uh, they would make a mistake by hitting the wrong key right what do they do they got to retype the whole thing or their document isn't perfect well you know what? 1956 a secretary at a dallas bank in texas beth bet nesmith graham invented and began to sell a new product she called mistake out later the name was changed to what we know today liquid paper right and you remember the little bottle, little brush, and you could, you could white out, right? Or maybe it's called white out today. And you could white out that little typo mistake and bring, bring your paper. Remember the little rollers and then type in, you know, fix your mistake and type in the, the word. Well, she invented that. It took off. Everyone wanted that. In 10 years, the company had its own corporate headquarters, automated production plant, sales were in excess of, of 1 million units per year. And then in 1975, sales were in $38 million a year, and then Gillette bought the company for $47.5 million. Amazing. Well, I've used it before, and, and it, it really helps. Um, it doesn't make it perfect, though. Yeah, you can still see the little whiteness on that. But in that day, it was better than typing your whole report again, like for school, right? But today, what do we have? We have our computers, yeah? I don't know if people still use white out, maybe a, a little bit here and there. But today, we have our home computers and our home printers, and we can correct typing mistakes on the computer before we even print it out. And then we print it out, and you have that perfect-looking paper to turn in. So... Think of it this way. Who would want to go back to the old way of typing your paper on a typewriter and then trying to correct it with liquid paper? Why not utilize the, the new way, right, to type and edit documents? 
Well, that's what like the writer is saying to the Jewish believers. The old system was flawed. It, 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 did, it wasn't really working right. It, it was, it's, it's even now antiquated now. But God has brought a better way. Why go back and give up on Jesus Christ? I was thinking about it this way. You know how sometimes we're prone to go back to our old ways? Trying to fix things with our own solutions that, well, never really worked anyway, right? But I don't know why we keep trying to do the same things. We end up right back with the same problem. It seems like when we handle and try, you know, handle things like we did before Jesus was in our lives, it seems to get messed up like it was before in Jesus in our lives. Rather than living in who we are after Jesus came into our life. Is that you today? Maybe you're drifting back into that old way of living. Maybe you're sliding into the old way of doing things and God is saying, Hey, I made something new for you. Why why you want to live like you did before the cross when God made you into something new after the cross? These believing Jews, that's what they were doing. They were beginning to drift. They were being pressured. They were in danger of sliding back into the old system when Jesus brought this new way. And this new way, new way was a way to victory, yeah? a new way with hope, and a promise of what God had for them in the future. Well, what will you choose, right? The old flawed system or the new sanctified way? Well, let's go on to number three. And this is our last heading, the effective sacrifice, the effective sacrifice. We've seen the limited system, the remedy submitted before and after the cross, and now the effective sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Okay, here we come into our last section here today and the writer says this is exactly what the Holy Spirit has shown us anyway. He's saying the Holy Spirit has testified of how much better the new covenant will be from the old covenant. And where is that? Where has it been said? Well, the writer quotes Jeremiah 31, 33, and verse 34 as he did also uh, back in chapter uh, 8 of Hebrews. So he brings this up again as he's cementing in their foundation here. He says that God will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. Another God will actually put what he desires into the desires of the believer. No more is this external law held above the heads of the people. But now what God wants, his principles, what he likes us to do is put right inside of our hearts. The laws try to regulate us from the outside, but the new covenant, God changes us from the inside out. Sometimes people ask me, I mean, I don't know how you can follow God. How can you follow the Lord? I wouldn't be able to obey all those rules. And you know what? I'm not ready to do that. But I say it's not like God's holding this over you and then once you sin, zap, you know, you're, you're done with. No, it's not that. Jesus has died on the cross for me and saved me and now he's made me into a new person. That's what it is. I have new desires, new priorities now. Now, 
I want to go to church, not because I have to. I want to go to church. I, that's the desire. Now, I, I don't study and read my Bible because, well, I'm going to be tested and he's going to give me a test. I want to learn. It's inside me to learn. I want to get to know my Jesus more. And I don't pray because I'm forced to. I just love talking to my Lord. And I want to spend time within, with Him. Because of the love of God in my heart, I want to love Him and do and be who I am in Christ now. So that's the idea. In this new covenant, hey, the Holy Spirit has kind of set this up already for us to know the writer saying. Then in verse 17, he adds, which is a, a, another quote from Jeremiah 31. This is verse 4. Uh, he says, their sins, their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. This again is an amazing verse, and we covered it back in uh, chapter 8. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, once and for all, God now can totally forgive me, complete me. And he will, what it says here, remember my sin no more. That is, God will not hold it against me anymore. He will not bring it up. He will not use it to condemn me anymore. That's true forgiveness, guys. That is how we are perfectly saved and sanctified. That's the freedom we have. That's, that's, that's the forgiveness that takes away that guilt and, and that, that, that sin in our conscience the, the Lord, uh, the writer has been talking about. This is why Christ's one sacrifice is the effective sacrifice. We're perfected, we're saved, we're sanctified, we're forgiven. And it's all because of what Christ did. Romans 8, 1, the first part says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, then he says, adds this, our very last verse this morning. Verse 18, Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. So the writer's like, Hey, so this should make sense to you, right? Now, if... That if there is remission, that means forgiveness of the sins of verse 17, lawless deeds and all sins and lawless deeds, then you know what? There is no longer needed an offering for sin. You don't need to go back to giving sacrifices and, and Christ does not need to die again. His one act of his, of his one sacrifice has atoned for all of our sins. And so the idea is this. There's no longer a need for the whole old sacrificial system. We don't need it anymore. Jesus' one suffering has wiped out the need for the old covenant of bringing animal sacrifices. There's nothing else to do and there's nothing else to say. Thomas Lee wrote, Christ's sacrifice was God's final answer to the universal problem of human sin. God has no need to speak a word behind, beyond Jesus. So that brings us now to our last point this morning. If sin has been completely forgiven at the cross, then there is no need to go back to the old sacrifices. If sin has been completely forgiven at the cross, there is no need to go back to the old sacrifices. Um, I was thinking about technology throughout my study here. And I remember in 1992, when Kirsten was near the end of her pregnancy with our first son, um, I, I, at that time, I had committed to serve at, at the Harvest Crusade, and, and I wanted to be sure to be reachable just in case she went into labor and the baby decided to come. So before cell phones now and text messages, I had to get 
a pager. You remember those pagers? They would vibrate or beep or, or do both, you know, by sliding a little switch on the side. Now, the way you, you could send a page is you would call a special number and then with your touch-tone phone, you would put in numbers that would sent, be sent to this little screen, you know, one-line screen on the pager, and it was usually only 10 digits at the max you could put in. So normally you, you, you would buy a touch-tone phone, put in your, your, your like callback number, and then perhaps a little code, you know, like, like 911. Which I remember, if I got a page like that, oh, I better call them back right away, you know. Or 411, oh, call back at your earliest, you know, convenience. Or I remember um, uh, sometimes on staff at the church I was at, uh, they would page me with a, a number. Like if they put one, that meant call back the senior pastor. You know, two, call back this guy. Three, call back. So there's little codes, you know, that you would use since it was only numbers you can, you can enter in. Sometimes we play around, and if you actually uh, entered in 07734 and you got the page and you turned the pager upside down, it would say hello with the numbers, right? So you play around with that. And, and, but the thing with pages is that was great to be reachable. But you know if you're driving and you got a page and it said 911, it was like, I got to find a pay phone now. I got to pull over. I got to stop. I got to make sure. I always made sure I carried some quarters and, you know, some change. So I could put into the, the pay phone and you got to stop, get out of your car, make the, make, make the call, get whatever information, get back in your car and go on driving. That was a lot of work. But now after having the cell phone, I would never go back to that thing, right? Well, that's like what the writer's saying. Why would you go back to this old system that's antiquated? The new system is so much better, right? We can text on our phones. We can talk on our Bluetooth while driving. You know, we don't have to pull over. We could communicate with letters now. Wow not just numbers, right? And we're not limited to just 10 digits. I know what you're saying. Well, Rick, no wonder your texts are so long. Yeah, because I'm excited. It's, you know, anyway. So the writer saying to these Jewish believers, why go back to something that was so ineffective for complete forgiveness? If sin has been completely forgiven at the cross, then there's no need to go back to the old sacrifices. And so he's really coming up to this thought, and we'll be seeing this. If you reject Jesus, Jesus, then there's really no other hope there for true forgiveness or a life with God. You know, I think sometimes we can do a similar thing with our seeking forgiveness. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you here. Do you hear it? Some of you are struggling with forgiveness. If you feel condemnation after hearing this, if you feel condemnation even going to Jesus for forgiveness, you know what? That's not God. It can be your own thoughts, but may the word you hear today change that. It can even be Satan whispering, yeah, pushing condemnation on you, whispering in your ear that, oh, you're not worthy. Just go leave. Crawl under that rock and just stay there. I've, I've heard that. I've felt that. It can be that you're struggling because maybe you're living in this regret, a regret that condemns you. You know God has forgiven you. You know He is able. But do you really know? Have you really accepted that forgiveness? 
Jesus has died on a cross for your sins. And if you really believe this truth here, then you need not beat yourself up thinking you'll feel better. And that's the sacrifices we go through sometimes, is beating ourselves up. We think if we beat ourselves up, then maybe we'll feel better, and that will atone for our sins. But that's the old way, and you know, it doesn't work. Because have you done that? You still come out feeling horrible. You still come out feeling condemned. You need to know that because of Jesus, He has forgiven you. And you know what? Now because of that, you can even forgive yourself. And maybe that's the hardest thing to do. But know that if God has forgiven you, then you can forgive yourself and you can go on. Know that that forgiveness in Christ is going to make all the difference in your life. A group of Christian missionaries in Delhi, India, met with representatives of other religious uh, <coughs> uh, religions to discuss their beliefs. In the course of their talks, a member of a major non-Christian religion there in India said to a missionary, tell me one thing your religion can offer to us in India than my, that mine can't. One of the missionaries stopped for a moment and then said, forgiveness, forgiveness. And that is so true if you think about it. It's so true. Which of the world religions in the world has their God come down to the earth and die on the cross for their sins. Christianity truly is the only one. And Christianity is the only one that has this kind of forgiveness. Let me tell you, forgiveness will change your life. Not only to be able to forgive others, you will be able to be forgiven and be freed from your own sins. And that's how we have a new life, you guys. That's how God can change everything everything about you. That's how we can become new. Let me close with this um, funny story I thought was funny. Anyway, a middle-aged woman was, had a heart attack and she left her body in a near-death experience. She sees a bright light. A voice says, it's not your time to go. You still have another 30 years to live. Well, she gets revived. Immediately she She's living again, so you know what she decides? She decides she has a new reason to live. So she schedules this major cosmetic surgery, facelift, liposuction, tummy tuck, all of that. After recovery, she goes on to dye her hair to cover, cover up her gray hair, and it, it makes her look like 10 years younger. Then the next day, when she crosses the street, she's hit by a speeding car. She dies again, leaves her body, and sees the bright light. Hey, what happened, she complains. I thought you said I had another 30 years. The voice says, oh, I'm sorry, but I didn't recognize you. <laughs> it's a joke, okay. <laughs> but you guys, let us be people who have found forgiveness from God. Let us be those who have a new relationship with God. Let us be those who have found a new life with God, freed from our sin and our path because we believe in what Jesus has done for us on the cross because God changes us from the inside out because we have new desires new wants new priorities in our life let us be those kind of people that others are around us hardly recognize us from before and hopefully like the difference we see here with the sacrifices 
and the one sacrifice of Jesus, hopefully people will see a difference in us from before and after the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are in the business of changing lives. and You can do that. You do do that, Lord, because you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead. That you died once for all. That you were the perfect sacrifice. You did not sin. And you even gave yourself with the right heart in obedience to God's plan. And you did all of that because you love us. God, how can we but trust you now? How can we but give our lives to you because of what everything you've done in our life? So help us to trust you for everything in our life. Help us to learn these truths and may this truth be a foundation to our lives. May it affect how we live, how we think, and may it be a shield of faith to the attacks of the condemnation of Satan. You are Christ. You're the one who sacrificed for us. You are my lamb who sacrificed himself for me. You are my Lord. You are my love. God, we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and we'll close with one last song.
cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Christ the Lord, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. God's presence go with you. May God's hand protect you. May the power of the Holy Spirit sustain you. And may Jesus' love flow upon you and through you. And may you find yourself getting closer and closer to Him as He becomes more and more important in your life. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Aloha.